Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. Do you solemnly swear? To support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Then I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of those officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Welcome listeners to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. I have the pleasure to sit here with Derek. He's actually from my home state, Massachusetts. He is a Navy veteran. His MOS was fire control. He's done two deployments with Fifth Fleet. He served from 2012 to 2018. He's an engineer and he has his own podcast called Once Upon a Boot. How you doing, Derek? What's going on, man? You know, living a nightmare, chasing a dream. Yep, I hear that. <laughs> so, all right, we'll uh so we'll we'll start here. Um birth to boot camp. How was your uh how was your life looking like then? Uh it was interesting. So uh you know, I grew up South Shore Mass. Yep. Uh, you know, my parents got divorced at a pretty young age. Right. Um kind of live live with my mom. I've got a brother. Uh we had an interesting childhood, you know, in and out of uh you know, low income housing and yep. you know, live with my grandparents for a stint and you know, I kind of got into a lot of trouble uh as a kid. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I kind of discovered um you know, skateboarding and and punk rock and all that stuff and I kind of found like, you know, like a brotherhood in that sort of area. Right. Um, and that kind of led me into more trouble. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't until I met, uh, you know, in high school, I met, uh, my girlfriend who's actually now my wife. Um, oh. she kind of straightened me out, uh, you know, cause in high school, uh, which kind of led to, you know, the military was when I was getting out of high school, I barely graduated high school yep. and I had no fucking idea what I wanted to do. Cause all I really liked doing was, you know, skateboarding and playing music with my friends. Yeah. So, you know, I was actually looking into joining the Marines at the time okay. and my girlfriend was like, well, you need to go to college. And I was like, well, you know, I barely graduated high school. What the fuck am I going to go to college for? I never even took the SATs. Like, you know, I had yeah. no idea what I wanted to do. And she's like, well, why don't you go to college for music? And I was like, well, I'm not good enough to go for music per se. <laughs> But kind um, of a hobby. Yeah. But then I looked up, you know, audio engineering and that type of stuff. So I applied to go to uh, college. It was a for-profit school. It was a private school. Okay. So you don't need SATs to get into a private school. Yeah. So I applied to that and I got called in for an interview for the school. And I remember the guy who interviewed me, he goes, I honestly called you in for the interview because I didn't think you were a real person. It's <laughs> like, this is the worst, you know, like application I've ever seen. Like your GPA was trash. You barely graduated <laughs> high school. He's like, but you, you know, you have to write a paper to get in. He's like, your paper was actually really good. So I didn't think that you were like a real person. I was like, yeah, sure enough. 
So I got into college for audio and I'm going through. And then as I'm going through school, I realized I don't want to fucking do this (laughs) because I was like, you know, if you want to make it in the audio industry, you got to put in like 20 years, no people, you know, before you even make any money. Right. So again, you know, the whole time I'm in there, I'm still thinking about, you know, joining the military. Right. And it's kind of in the back of my head, in the back of my head. And then, you know, eventually it leads to to that. So, so what you're saying is you have history with uh, audio engineering. So I better edit post edit this fucking show really good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in the day I would be like, you know, huge on it. And then sure enough, as I started my podcast, you know, after how ma- however many years I was like, fuck, I don't even remember how to do half this shit. So. <laughs> okay. So, now why so i know you said you wanted the marines but what ultimately turned you into the navy like to go down the navy route so when it actually came time to join the military so it actually it happened i was getting ready to graduate college yeah again i had no fucking idea what to do and my girlfriend still she's like okay well you're gonna join the military like you've wanted to do it um but at that point I was like, okay, well, I can join the military as an officer now, right? Because now I'm going to have a bachelor's degree and I'm going to get into it. Well, at the time, the tattoo policy for an (laughs) officer was pretty much like, no, like if you have tattoos, you're fucked. And I have a lot of tattoos, so I couldn't do it. And the Marines also wouldn't touch me with all my tattoos either because they were pretty strict at the time too. So my choices were pretty much Navy or Army. And the Navy recruiter just happened to be there that day. The army recruiter wasn't there. So, cause it was one of those like uh buildings that they had like, Oh yeah. So they had yeah. an office for every branch. So, you know, he talked to me and he's like, okay. Like I took a practice ASVAB in his office. It was, you know, like however many questions. Right. And I scored pretty decent on that. And he's like, okay. He's like, you know, don't worry about being an officer because you're going to be a petty officer in the Navy. And it's, it's basically the, na- the same thing. And then <laughs> she, you know, sure enough, you look back and you're like, oh, non-commissioned officer is pretty fucking different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing the same. That's like Starbucks and Dunkin'. <laughs> yeah. So it, I t- you know, I ended up taking the ASVAB. I scored okay on it. Um, he tried to push me, you, you know, the Navy recruiters always try to push you towards nuke school. They want you to work in like, you know, the, the MOS for nuke is like a big credit to the recruiter. Oh, okay. So in the Navy, they try to push you either towards uh, nuke or towards being on submarines because they get like incentives for pushing people that way. And right. there's no fucking way I was going to be on a submarine. No, I don't blame you. And, <laughs> and there's no way I wanted to work with like nuclear reactors. So there's a program called AECF, which is advanced electronics and computers. So when you join that way, you get put into either a fire controlman, which is what I was, or an electronics technician. And they just decide for you in boot camp. Oh, nice. So you, you pretty much like, all right, I'm doing something with controls, maybe. But the way they proposed it to me, So there's a rate in the Navy called a gunner's mate, which is basically, you know, you work on the guns. It's pretty self-explanatory, either small arms or you work on, you know, like the big guns on the ship. But he explained fire control to me like that. Okay. 
So I was like, okay, like that's kind of cool. But, and then he explained an electronics technician to me, like a, you know, total like nerd, you know, like they just, you know, work with electronics and circuit boards and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, those are pretty fucking different jobs. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's weird that they were grouped them together. (laughs) I mean, that's not how either of them was at all, but that's how he explained it to me. And I was in a delayed entry to the Navy for like six months. So from the time I went to the recruiter to the time I left for boot camp was like six months. Jesus. Yeah. And at no point in that six months, did you say fucking going to Canada? (laughs) (laughs) No. And I fucked up too, because I thought I was so naive. I thought me talking to the recruiter was like, okay, that's it. I'm I'm in the military now. I didn't realize that, you know, that doesn't change until you actually fucking go to boot camp. (laughs) Right. So in that time, I got offered a really good job out of college and I was like, oh, I can't take it. I'm in the military. (laughs) Like I didn't fucking know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're at a bar and somebody starts fights with you. Like, do you know who I am? I'm in the military. All right. (laughs) Yeah. I talked to recruiter once. Yeah. So I was that guy. Nice. Did you shave your head before boot camp or not? Well, I I already had like um sure. like a low fade at that point, like right. pretty much how my hair is now. So I was pretty close to you know shaved head. Okay. So, so yeah. boot camp. Talk to me about boot camp. I was uh naval boot camp for your. I mean, you so, guys all go to the same boot camp, or is it different because of your MOS? Nope. So it's all the same boot camp. So okay. our boot camp's in Great Lakes, Illinois. Yeah. And I left for boot camp in January, so it was fucking cold yeah like really fucking cold (laughs) um and i got there and i remember you know obviously the first thing that happens you know you get to the airport and we're all kind of just waiting just there like they have um they have the drill instructors which for the navy they call them rdc's recruit division commanders okay and they're all you know sitting there and they're not mean yet because you're you know you're at the airport Right. And I remember sitting there and everybody around me had this folder <laughs> with um it had like, you know, your general orders, it had the sailor's yeah. creed, it had all of these kind of things. It was almost like a cheat sheet. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Where the fuck did you guys get that?" They're like, "Oh, our recruiter gave it to us." I didn't know any of that shit. Yeah. So I'm guy. sitting there and I'm like sweating because I'm seeing all of these people are ready. <laughs> I got no idea what's about to happen. Yeah. And I was also 21. So I was like a little older than a lot of the kids that were there. Okay. And I remember getting off the bus and you know, that's when they start screaming at you and they're shaving your head and they keep you awake for like the first 48 days yeah. or 48 hours. Sorry. Yeah. Straight. And then you finally get to sleep. And I remember sitting in my rack that night, just like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> yeah. Like six months ago, I was okay with being in the military. Now, not so much. Yeah. I was like, this fucking sucks. And see, yeah, I mean, boot camp was just, you know, it was a total shock for me. Um, I was also in a mixed division. So it was male and female. Okay. Which you know, was very, it's a very different style, I guess, a boot camp than an all male division. Right. Um, but that also sucked because what happens is, so the females sleep in their own compartment, okay. males sleep in their own compartment. And then at the beginning of the day after Reveille, you integrate, okay. right? So you have a regular division that's mixed, but then your brother division would be the other males that also live in your um quarters if that makes sense yeah 
So they basically split the room in half, half go with half of the girls barracks. And then the other half of the room goes with the other half of the girls barracks. Right. And then, so what would happen is, is we would get, you know, fucked up basically, you know, like during the day with the females. And then at the end of the day, we integrate with the males and then we get fucked up again with another group of like drill instructors. So it was almost like double boot camp. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's uh no, I remember uh, when our, our boot camp we uh, we were marching past up a tune of females because we're different down there, Paris yep. Island, you know. And uh I remember one of our kill hats is just kind of like you know, we're all looking. Obviously, we're all looking. We're, you know, we're yeah. months into our boot camp now. We're all looking at them like, hey, you know, and uh, our kill hatch is like, I'll just tell you guys one thing. They don't get to shave or anything. Why they're here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But that's about as close as it came for me for, for a female. I seen her walk by one time and that was about it. Um, that's crazy. I mean, I, w- I mean, going back to when you were at the airport, man, I'm thinking to myself as you're telling your story, I'm like, if it was me, I'd probably walk up to the security guy and be like, how much will it cost to put me on the no fly list? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude, I, w- I remember being there just like, I mean, my anxiety was like through the roof. I was, I was freaking out. Yep. The nice thing about being in a mixed division though, in boot camp, yep. is they were like the least sexualized beings to me <laughs> during boot camp Because like you're, like you said, like I'm with them every day. Like yeah. they fucking stink just as bad as me. Yep. Like, you know, all this stuff. So that was like a nice thing. Yeah. So where'd you go? So after, uh, so when did you find out that you're actually doing fire control? The one, the side that you actually wanted to. So about like a week or two before boot camp ended, um, they came down with orders. Uh, that's when like you first get your security clearance and all that stuff. Yep. And every, so all of, you know, the buddies that I made in boot camp yep. that were the same program that I was in, they all got ET and I was the only one that got fire control. So oh. I was like, fuck, like I'm not even with my buddies. Yep. And in my mind, like I said, it was like shooting guns and doing all this stuff. And then like, they're going off to work on like, you know, electronics or whatever. Google. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was like, fuck. And I remember talking to my, you know, my drill instructor and I was like, Hey, can, you know, can I talk to like as, as polite as I possibly could in boot camp? Yep. I was like, do you know what this fucking job is? Yeah. <laughs> and then he told me what it was and I was like, Oh, that's way different, you know, <laughs> but even, and, and I'll get into this in a little bit. Yep you know, fire control is so varied across the Navy because fire control on a, you know, on a destroyer is a lot different than fire control on an aircraft carrier, which is different than fire control on shore duty. Okay. (laughs) You know, so it's, it's just like a wide array of shit. And then, um, in boot camp for the Navy, you go through, I, what is it called in the Marines? The last, you know, section of boot camp, the big thing you guys have to do Uh, the crucible. Crucible. So yep. in, in the Navy, it's called battle stations. Okay. And they have a full size animatronic destroyer that was built by Disney wow. at the uh, Navy boot camp. And they simulate the USS Cole bombing happening. Oh, wow. And you basically have to like get out the, of there. <laughs> get out of there, you know, help people that are like, you know, their limbs are blown off and, 
you know, practiced, you know, patching pipes and uh, fighting fires because everybody on a Navy ship has to be firefighter qualified. And so it's like it's super hectic. And so, you know, you go through that. And I remember my drill instructors, you know, after graduation are like, oh, you're going to have to do a lot of this shit as a fire control. So I was like, oh, okay. Oh, great. So I don't get to shoot the big guns. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. So. Now, where was your, where did you go first after all that, after boot camp and all that? So I was unlucky and got to stay in Great Lakes, Illinois for about a year. So I go through my first school, which was like basic, um, just like an electronics, like, and, you know, familiarization thing. Okay. Because all of these guns and all of the radar systems, like it's all electronics, You know, nothing is just like pulling a trigger anymore or, you know, pulling a lever. It's all, you know, digital. So you have to go through that. Then I go to a C school, which was also in Great Lakes. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's where they kind of familiarize you more of being, you know, working with fire control and they introduce you to, you know, the different types of fire control. Uh, So, you know, the different radar systems, the different weapon systems, missiles, you know, all that type of shit. And then from there is when you choose your specialty. Okay. And then you go off to your specialty school. All right. What did you choose? So I chose, uh, Aegis. I don't know if you're familiar with the Aegis weapon system. No. So Aegis is on cruisers and destroyers and it's pretty much, they call it the shield of the Navy. Okay. So it's um, basically in a battle group. I'm sure you've seen pictures of like the battle groups for Navy ships. It's oh, like yeah. a carrier and then you have the little ships around them. Oh, yeah. So uh, the main radar for Aegis ships is called the spy radar. And it's, uh, you know, it's how they search all the air search tracks. They track missiles, uh, aircraft, all that stuff. Okay. That's all Aegis, quote unquote. Okay. So I picked that. And they just assigned me to display systems, which was the only thing that was there. So fixing, you know, like the monitors and consoles on the ship and uh, basically like all the shit that makes the radar do what it does. Perfect. Yeah. And then from there, I got sent off to Dahlgren, Virginia, which is in the middle of the fucking (laughs) woods in Northern Virginia. (laughs) And it's where they like test all the weapons, basically. Oh, okay. So I went there for nine months. So you go from a big city in, in, in mass yep. and you go to boot camp and everything else. And now you find yourself in Virginia, bumfuck Virginia. <laughs> and you know, me and my girlfriend who ended up getting married when we yep. were in Illinois. Um, so we're just married. Uh, we're living in like base housing in the middle of the woods. <laughs> um, like the nearest thing was a Walmart and then 45 minutes to like the next town. Nice. <laughs> so it, it's literally like nothing to do. Um, that's kind of that's go ahead. And that school is just like you know teaching you everything about now your specialty job. Oh, okay. So how long so, did you stay there for? So that was nine months, um, and I got into you know a little bit of trouble there. <laughs> um, that was my first, I guess. Uh, the first time the Navy tried to fuck me was in that school because oh. uh, I had this, there was a senior chief, which is an E8 in okay. the uh, Navy. So he saw me and I have, you know, back in the day I had 
uh, gauges in my ears and I had taken them out. They, they closed pretty well, but there was still like a little hole. And I remember he saw me uh, walking down the hall and he was like, do you fucking rip your ears open on purpose? And I was like, I mean, back in the day, you know, yeah, I did. And he tried to send me to captain's mast uh, and get me busted down because he called it a uh, destruction of government property. I was like, I fucking joined like this. Like, yeah, like, you know, like I had to get waivers to join. He's like, where are your waivers? Like no one walks around with fucking <laughs> enlistment waivers. Yeah. Look at my, know? my record. I mean, the fuck? yeah. So that was the first time they, I tried, they tried to bust me down and I was like, Oh, okay. This is how, you know, life's going to be. Yeah. So I'm out here in the middle of fucking nowhere. This E8 got nothing to do, but yell at me because of my ears. Yep. <laughs> tried to fuck me over for that. So yep. that was fun. Okay. Um, but yeah, from there is where you get to pick your first duty station. So my choices were Virginia in Norfolk. I could go to Japan. Um, and then there were two orders to Spain. And Spain, I was like, oh, that might be fucking cool to live in Spain. Yeah. But at the time, my wife was pregnant. And they said if I pick Spain, she would have to stay back for like up to a year after I got there before she's allowed to go out there with the newborn. And I was like, ah, I don't want to fuck with that. Yeah. So I just picked Virginia state in Virginia. Okay. So now are you still in the same spot in Virginia where there's nobody around? No. So now <laughs> I go to Norfolk, Virginia, which is the largest okay. naval base on the planet. Okay. Um, and we lived in Virginia beach, which is, you know, right outside of Norfolk. So okay. that is, and it's military just everywhere yeah like you know because this all the surrounding towns are just filled and filled with military okay so so at what point or at any point did your wife say anything to you about you when you moved to this small little we'll call it podunk town yeah did she ever say to you like what the fuck did you drag me down here for you pretty much (laughs) because she she just graduated college um she got she's a dental hygienist so she couldn't find a fucking job no, because we're in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Population 2000, probably yeah. 25 teeth for everybody. Yeah. So she Total. was working. She was working at a Wawa, <laughs> a Wawa at the gas station while she was fucking pregnant. She's like, I'm college educated and we're living in bumfuck Virginia and I'm working at a Wawa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Navy. Show me the world. <laughs> yeah. So then we get down to, to Norfolk and, you know, that's when, you know, Getting to your sh- your first ship, which I'm I'm sure they do the same thing in the Marines. They hype you up so much to get out to, you know, do, do what something. you're supposed to do. Yeah. Like I wanted to get to a ship so fucking bad, yep. and then I got there and it was just horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible. All right. So when you talk to me about your uh, your deployments here with uh, the Fifth Fleet, how long were they? Stuff so. Like that. My first deployment. So I get to my first ship and so I don't want to say my first ship's name because I don't want to give them the the benefit of it, but basically (laughs) that place. So it's notorious. uh, I'll say in Norfolk, Virginia, that, that ship, it it, it was not a a fun place. Um, It was a pretty fucking toxic place. Like the, to give you an example, the first captain, that was there, he would send people to captain's master, throw them in the brig for whistling. Oh, fuck that. 
Oh, fuck, like no. this <laughs> dude was fucking crazy. Yeah, no. And then in the Navy, your executive officer yep. becomes the captain when the captain steps down. So if your captain is bad and your executive officer is learning from him, yeah, it's, it's all just, bad. it's a, the cycle just fucking continues. Right. Yeah. So that place was a hellhole. Like I first got there, they wouldn't, they gave me a hard time about seeing the birth of my son. Jesus like my Christ. first son that was being born the same day my son was born. My grandfather died. Oh man. And me and him were like super close. So then, you know, I had to fly back home for my grandfather's funeral. They gave me a hard time about that. Like they didn't believe me. Yeah. I was like, you know, it was a big thing. And the ship had just deployed. They just came back from deployment when I got there. Then the ship got orders for a surge deployment. So a surge deployment is only like five to six months. Okay. So in order for a ship to deploy, they go through this really extensive workup phase, okay. make sure, you, you know, you have to qualify that, you know, everything on board is Working. basically ready to go. Yeah. So once I got to the ship, we were out to sea for like two weeks back for a week out to sea for two weeks back for a week, like nonstop from, I got there in November. And then I think we ended up deploying that summer. So during that entire time, yeah. I was home for like a week at a time and then gone for like two weeks and my wife's home by herself with a newborn. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> so then in that time also, we had a active shooter on the ship mm. and somebody was shot and killed on our ship too. So that was a big change too. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine because I mean, you, there's nowhere to go. You're on a ship yeah. and you're out there forever. Um, you got... It's a lot to go through in a short amount of time there. You, you realize yeah. that like you're on this, you're like, all right, I got this really cool job, fire, fire control. All right. Okay. So it's not a cool job. Oh no, it is a cool job. Okay. Okay. Well, this is the cool job I want. Now you get on a ship and you're like, fuck yes, I'm going to a ship. And then you find out everybody there's a dick, but then you're yeah, like, all right, cool. my kid's being born. That's amazing. Fuck you guys. I don't care. Then, you know, your grandfather goes down. And then you go back and forth on not being there at home. I mean, that's, that's a lot to take in in a short amount of time, especially when you're coming from a podunk town with like you've been by yourself for the past six months Yep. to all that. So that's, that's crazy. Um, I was, I was thinking about asking you about ship life when you're out in the ocean, but I don't know. It's kind of like a lot of life is it's, it's so it's so hard to describe how so like you you sleep in a birthing on the ship right so i was on a destroyer so it's about 500 feet of just you know you're trapped inside these walls so there's different birthings on the ship each birthing has about 80 sailors that sleep in it so you're sleeping in a space with 80 sailors your racks are you know three bunks high And they're literally, you know, they call them coffin racks because you have about as much room as a fucking coffin to move around. Jesus. So like if I wanted to like roll over in my rack when I'm sleeping, I had to like take my head out, roll over and then like come back in. And all you have (laughs) your, your entire privacy is a curtain that you just, you know, (laughs) fold across. So you spend so much time you know, in your spaces that you work or, you know, on the mess decks eating chow or um, the a quote unquote gym that you have on the ship, which was like a closet, um, <laughs> you know, you kind of just find your way around and 
you know, they didn't warn me about seasickness because I got super fucking seasick when I first joined too, <laughs> um, which sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, on a destroyer, when the waves are so bad, you can actually walk on the walls when the ship rocks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. You know, they don't prepare you for life on an actual fucking ship. Yeah. Like I've been on a cruise before, but Jesus. <laughs> no, it's, it is, it is way different. And you know, all the dumb shit that you have to do on a ship, like preservation of the ship. I mean, you own the ship. Yeah. So like you spend time, you have to like, uh, the, the surface of a ship outside of it is called non-skid. And the easiest way I can describe it is it's like fucking cement with all of these, you know, ridges in it right. so that it's not slippery. Okay. And like you spend so much time like needle gunning, almost like jackhammering up the non-skid, painting the surfaces, laying it back down again. So you're like a fucking construction worker out to sea. You know, you have to be a firefighter out to sea. You have to also do your job. You know, yeah. you have to do all of this shit. It's like they don't prepare you for any of that. Meanwhile, you're like, all you're doing is big circles in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. Like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> Yeah. And then finally it comes time to deploy. And so it was hard because, you know, so at that time, like I said, it was a pretty toxic work environment. We had somebody get shot and killed on the ship. We had one person commit suicide on the ship. We had a bunch of people uh, attempt suicides on the ship. Like it was just not a good place. Yeah. So now we're leaving, like I'm leaving behind my wife and my, my son who was about, I think he was like six or seven months old at the time. Um, we're going over to the middle East. So I was like nervous about that already. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the nice thing was, is now we actually have like a destination. It's like you said, we're not going out into the ocean and just circling around for yeah. two weeks. It's at least now I know we're going somewhere. Yeah. And you're doing something. You now have a purpose. Yeah. To, to, now I get to do my actual job. Yeah. You know? Like I'm not being home with my kid right now, but it's okay. Cause I'm out there defending us or I'm not just fucking fishing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. So what is, what is a de- deployment like for someone like in the Navy or whatever on the ship going out to middle East? Just so, the first thing you have to do is you, so it's things like I never thought of, like you have to load all the missiles onto the ship, yep. which is done in Virginia. Like you actually like they, they crane on all the missiles and you know, you have to do all this ammo handling. We have to take in, you know, all the ammo for the 50 cals and the two forties and yeah. you know, all the nine mils and the M 16s and all that shit. And then you head over and every fifth fleet deployment starts exactly the same. You stop in Portugal for fuel. Okay. Cause that's like a big fueling port, okay. um, which is pretty much you stop for fuel. You get to go outside and look and say, Hey, you know what's going on. You don't yeah. get to go anywhere in Portugal. Yeah. Um, and then you, we stopped over in Suda Bay, Greece um, for more ammo handling. And then uh, on a ship you have um, what's called VBSS which is kind of like the ship's SWAT team. Okay. Um, so if there was ever like a, you know, pirate situation, they yeah. would be the ones to respond. And they did, you know, they do training with the Greek like seals, like they're equivalent to special forces. Oh, wow. So they That's did, cool. you know, yeah, it was cool. So they did training with that. Um, and, you know, we were there for a few weeks and then from there you go into the Gulf in order to get into the Gulf, you have to go through these straits. There's two sets of straits. There's one that separates 
like Spain and Africa. Like you have to go through that, um, which was, you know, that was pretty cool. But then the second set of straits is you have to kind of go by Egypt and there's a little canal that you have to go through and the distance for a destroyer, which is a small ship. You have about a car's length on either side of you from where the land is. Nice. So like, and you're going through (laughs) like literally like the desert with a little canal and there's fucking like tanks and shit from all of these middle Eastern countries, like following you the whole time. Wow. So the whole time you go through there, like we're armed up, like yeah. our 50 cals, our two forties are pointed at them. And the whole time you're going through, you're like, if, if they were literally going to fire on us with fucking tanks, like I'm fucked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. I have a 50 cal, what the fuck am I going to do against like a tank? Yeah. But you also got the big rockets too. Yeah. But it's also <laughs> like, they have to launch and, and then break the atmosphere and then come back down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh man. I mean, so it's still gotta scary. be still gotta be an amazing sight though, to be a big piece of ship and go through a little area. It is, it's crazy to see. And then, yeah. you know, you go through that and then, um, you go through all that and then you get over to the Arabian Gulf. Okay. And the Arabian Gulf is, it's such a weird place to be. Like you learn all of these, um, like rules of war essentially. Right. Okay. And then all of that shit goes out the window when you get over to the Arabian <laughs> Gulf. Cause you have these like Iranian small boats or, you know, from Yemen or all of these places over there. Yeah. And they're like little speed boats with 50 cows on them and they'll fucking circle you like sharks. Wow. And what they do is they basically play chicken with you because once you fire on them, like you might, you might sink like one or two of those little boats, but yeah. now you're going to have like a hundred of them coming for your ship and they're like fucking sharks. Wow. And they'll, they'll sink a ship. So you're not allowed to fire on them and they'll get to the point where they're almost like touching you. Wow. Like that's how close they get. Jesus. And it's like, you know, you're out there manning weapons or, you know, watching these radars and stuff. And like, you never know, like, what if, what if somebody accidentally, you Jeez. know, like fires by accident because they're so tense. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, now we're all going to be fucked. So it, it's pretty tense out there. And oh. you stay out to sea for usually like 30 to 40 days at a time. And then you'll pull into uh, Bahrain, which is, it's like a really small, it's called the kingdom of Bahrain in the Middle yeah. East. You'll pull in there for like a week, go back out for like 30, 40 days. Jesus. So, but to sit out there and just watch these guys like little vultures pretty much going around you. That's got to, I mean, are you, are you allowed to just go below deck and just not be able to see them? Or is everybody's always, yeah. Up there? So it's, it's very few, it's very few people that are topside. You know, like on a destroyer, you know, usually have like a couple 50 cals and two forties, but most people are just inside the skin of the ship. I mean, there were times where I would spend weeks inside the ship and never see like daylight. Wow. And then I, like, you finally go outside. You're it's like a vampire, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you kind of just find ways to keep yourself occupied. But I mean, that first deployment for me was miserable. I was the only one on the ship with my MOS yep. where you're supposed to have like three or four people. So mm-hmm. I was pretty fucking, you know, overworked. I was, <laughs> you know, in the middle of, you know, the Arabian Gulf scared on my first deployment. I got a wife and a kid at home. Yeah. Um, 
I have this command that was just like fucking brutal. Like our weapons officer got relieved of his duties in the middle of deployment and got sent home. Nice. So it's like, now we don't have like a weapons officer and like all of this shit was just going bad. And I was in, I was in like a really fucking bad place on that deployment. And, um, that was actually, I actually had a suicide attempt on that first deployment. Oh man. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you're, uh, you're here with me today talking. Yeah, me too. I mean, so it was, it was, it was a fucking dark place that I got to and I have nothing but like, I have good memories from my buddies from that ship, but that ship was just basically they swept my suicide attempt under the rug and pretended like it never happened. So, right. Cause they don't, want, um, yeah, they, yeah. They don't want the eyes on them. Yeah. So it was, it was a fucked up place. I mean, but like, you know, the, the plus sides is, you know, you have your buddies there and, um, the ports we got to go to were pretty cool. Like we got to go to Abu Dhabi, which is near Dubai. And you see like how they live over there, which is fucking wild. Like everyone driving like Lamborghinis and yeah. Richest place ever. Yeah. Like all oil rich. Um, (laughs) and then on the way home, we got to stop in Italy and Spain. So like, you know, there was some good on the deployment. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess the only good thing about you being under or overworked undermanned is just because I think that maybe is why you're here today. Cause it, in a sense, you didn't have so much time to sit there and think about everything that's going on and happening to you. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So you get back to so that. That's your first deployment. That was my first deployment. Yeah. So how long are you home now? Now you get to be home with your kid. And, uh, the wife's probably like ecstatic. She's like, I'm going to sleep for six months. The kid's yours. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. We got home. And at that point we were, I was, you know, back in port for, let's see, probably like a year or two. Oh, perfect. After that. So what happened after we got back? So after a big deployment, a ship usually goes into dry dock Okay. where, um, they come back, they literally dock the ship, lift it up out of the water, and yep. they repair the ship. Yep. So during that period of time, you get sent to the shipyards and you have to live on a barge that's basically like attached to the ship. Um, and it's basically like a construction site. Okay. So we were there. Um, now on that deployment, I also had a shoulder injury. And it got to the point where I couldn't even lift my arm to salute anymore. Like that's wow. how bad my shoulder was. And I had been trying to get it fixed. And then the ship kept denying it and denying it and denying it. And then like, I also had the suicide attempt and I had all this shit that was going on. And I was like, I need to fucking get off of this sh- ship. Like yeah, this yeah. place is like killing me literally. Yeah. Um, so I finally get shoulder surgery and the doctor you know, the Navy doctors, they were like, Hey, you know, this injury was a lot more severe. Like you're going to be laid up for an extended period of time. You're going to have to leave the ship to recoup. And I was like, yes, fuck. Yeah. I get to leave the ship. Right. (laughs) Well, then I get back to the ship and my CO denied that. What the fuck? So, you know, that's when I learned that a Navy doctor can give a recommendation, but only your commanding officer can give an order. Uh So he was like, well, he recommends you leave, but I'm saying that you're not. Okay. And at that point, I'm like, I just have surgery. I can't fucking move my arm. I'm all drugged up because, you know, I just had my shoulder repaired. 
And that's the point I was like, okay, so, you know, I tried to kill myself on deployment. Like that didn't pan out and they don't fucking care about that. I finally get the shoulder repair and that can't even get me off the ship. And then that was a time where I kind of contemplated it a second time. Yeah. And, um, I went to the hospital that night and I got like, I told them that I ran out of my medication Yeah. and I basically got like, you know, a bunch of Percocets and I was just going to fucking take the whole bottle. And I was yeah. just like, like th- there's just gotta be something. Right. Um, and I didn't do it that night and I'm so fucking happy. I didn't do it. And you know, it, it wasn't fair to my wife. It wasn't fair to my son. But at the time, like I try to explain to her now, like, you're not thinking about that. Like, I just felt like it felt like there was nothing else. Yeah. Like you're so focused in the military on like, you know, your task and your ship and, and sometimes, and it's shitty, but like your personal life and your, you know, the people back home, like they're just not on your mind. Like they should be right. They're not at the forefront. And it's like, all you think about is that. Right. Um, now the blessing in disguise that happened to me is while you're in the yards, the inspector general comes out to inspect the ship and he saw me on the ship right after surgery. And I remember he came up to me and he was like, you know, sailor, what's going on with you? I was like, Oh, I just had the, you know, the shoulder repair and this and this and this. He's like, why are you here? I was like, I, my, I don't know. Captain is making me be here. And he's like, go home. (laughs) <laughs> then the next week I got taken off the ship. Oh, perfect. Like the inspector general was like, he does not need to fucking be here, you yeah. know, after this big surgery. And then the CO ended up getting relieved of his duties because what was happening is he was basically taking people's medical records yeah. and showing them to his wife, who was a nurse for her advice, which is a huge violation oh, of like everything. PII and everything, HIPAA, right? All that shit. <laughs> all that shit. So I got taken off the ship. And then the ship did a complete change after I left, which Good. I mean, the, the, the light in all of this is that people that were on the ship after me didn't have to fucking experience any of that stuff. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, I'm sorry that you had to go through it, but I'm glad that yeah. you're sitting here telling us like, it's not like that anymore. That's just, that's a very good success story. And that's sometimes that's what happens when you get bad people in high ranking positions. Yep. You know, but I'm glad you made it through it. You're you know, your wife still with your wife, still got the kids running yep. around, you know yep. what I mean? So, I mean, now, yeah. now you're an engineer. Yeah. How, how did you make that? Like, so getting out of the, out of the Navy, like, was it a lot, did you have a job lined right up or was it a lot of like sitting so, around? So after that, I, I got attached to another ship and on that ship, that ship was like being on like a carnival cruise in comparison to like right. the other ship. Okay. I actually went to the USS Cole after that, which oh, cool. was, you know, the famous ship that got bombed. Yeah. And then, you know, they definitely changed my view. I almost reenlisted on that wow. ship. I thought about it and it was on my second deployment, which was back to, you know, the Middle East. That one was a nine month deployment. And I thought about reenlisting and I looked into it because at the time they really needed people in my job Okay. and they were offering $75,000 to reenlist. Outstanding. And I was like, well, fuck, if we're in the middle East, I can get it tax free. Yeah, exactly. 
I was like, I'm, I'm going to try to do this. Yeah. And they wouldn't let me reenlist because you have to be in your fiscal year or it's like a weird thing. Stupid shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, fuck it. You know, like I, I don't want to do it. By the time we got back home, the reenlistment bonus was like gone. Yeah. And then, you know, it was the same thing where fuck, you know, I don't want to stay in. I was an E5 at the time. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm pretty jaded because of what happened to me in, uh, you know, my first ship. Yeah. And then, you know, I went through the transition thing for the Navy, which was like a week of here's how to write a resume. And it really <laughs> didn't even fucking tell you much. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, like, what am I going to do? The only thing I know now is, you know, working on radar and shit like that. And that's when I was like, oh, well, these radars are obviously made by like these defense companies. Yep. So I looked into that and I just sent, I told my wife back home, I was like, hey, I'm going to write a resume. I can't like access the internet really on the ship. Just send my resume to fucking everyone. Yeah. Get it every, every big company, you know, mm -hmm. Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, BAE, uh, you know, all Aero. of these big fucking companies. Yep. And I got a, you know, an email back from one of them and they hired me six months before I separated. Wow. And they were just like, Hey, we're, we'll just hold a spot for you for when you get out. Because what happens is you have these kids out of college that apply to these companies, yeah. but then they have to teach them all about this equipment. Yeah. And they where if they hire just a sailor that works on it every fucking day, that's all this money they can spend on training. Yeah. And stressful situations too. Not, in a yeah. nice calm classroom where they're going home at night and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. That's so they, yeah. So they hired me. And then when I got out, I just started working there as an engineer. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So, and now you're doing your own podcast. Yeah. I'm doing what's, this. Yeah. What's the, uh, so once upon a boot, um, podcast, talk to me about that. What's your main goal on it? And yeah. So basically when I first got out, I had, you know, I was doing this, but it's kind of like you said, I lost that sense of camaraderie and almost like purpose. Like I'm yep. working and now I have two kids and, but I was still like missing something. Right. And I was dealing with, you know, some mental stuff and I didn't know what the fuck to do. And then, uh, you know, eventually I got in touch with, you know, mental health at the VA and I'm, I was working with that and uh, the psychiatrist that I was seeing at the time, she was like, you know, you need to reconnect with other veterans. Yeah. So I, I thought about, you know, doing a podcast. I like listening to podcasts and I was like, Oh, you know, that's something I could probably do. And, you know, I, was, I, I remember trying to think about like what I wanted it to be. And then I thought about once upon a boot, like, you know, just telling stories of when you're, you know, your boot, you're the fresh person in yep. the, in the Navy or you're, you know, the Marines or whatever it is. Yep. Like that was always the best thing. Hanging out on like, you know, the smoke deck talking with everybody or yep. shooting the shit in birthing or in the gym. Like, you know, that's kind of what I wanted it to be. And, uh, you know, so I started the podcast just to have different veterans on and tell, you know, their stories of good times, bad times, yep. um, you know, why they joined. Cause you know, I remember seeing all these podcasts for the military, but it was always like Navy seal medal of honor recipient yeah. or, you know, <laughs> all of this shit. And I'm like, that's such like a small sect of the military. Right. 
so much of the military is just sitting around doing nothing, bullshitting with your buddies. Yeah, exactly. Like, having kind of a few, what I wanted. Having a few, yeah, having a few drinks and just telling good stories and exactly calling each other names and stuff like that. That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of you know the podcast. So once upon a boo, that's what I wanted it to be. And you know, you do something very similar to that too. It's just yep. telling you know everyday veteran stories. Yeah, exactly. And just, you know, to show the people out there that like you know whatever you did or didn't do and. And everybody's got their own story and uh, definitely uh, worthy of, of listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But all right, I'm going to put a link of uh, Once Upon a Boot, your Buzzsprout link right into the Sweet. show description there so people can find your podcast as well. And yeah, you got any questions for me? No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, check it out. Keep listening to American Vet Podcast. Uh, I had you on my show. It was a good time talking to you there. And yeah. uh, thanks for having me on yours. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. All right, listeners, like I said, you can find a show link or a link to his show in the show description. And I'll also put it in there, the Mission 22 stuff. So you can access that as always. And you can email me at AmericanVetPodcast at Yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Derek, for telling me your story. And, uh, I mean, that's just, I never realized what you guys actually did in the port. Like just sit there while the vultures are going around. I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time right now and I'm sitting here in my man cave trying to figure out if I would be the guy to say, you know what? Fuck these motherfuckers. They're annoying the shit out of me and just lose yeah. it on them. And it's, it, it's hard, man. Cause you get it all built up in your head yeah. and you're like, if I do this, you know, the whole battle group is you know, could be fucked or the Marines on land could be fucked that we're providing, yeah. you know, weapon support for, or, you know, yeah. it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Thank you again, Derek and listeners stay tuned for the outro. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years, we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.